Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cutler. He's not only a composer of Dateline NBC's theme, the Yankees MSG Network theme. He's also a keyboardist. He's a multi-talented musician. And Rick Cutler, thanks for joining this podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. On television, uh, I composed all of the music for uh, the Gregory Hines show. Gregory Hines uh, was no longer with us, but one of the major tap dancers of our time. And sure. he, had, he had a very short-lived uh, sitcom on CBS, and I did all the music for that. I know that you're out there. Tell me about composing with, and working with NBC, because that's a big that's a bit network to work with. And you've done Dateline, you've done the Today Show. So what we hear on TV is what you compose. Is that right? Well, pretty much. Uh, what, those those um, pieces of music you reference are, I, I actually co-composed them with a guy named Michael Karp, who I was working with at the time. And uh, out of the two of us, he was the one who dealt with all of the uh, business side of the music business. So he was the one directly uh, dealing with NBC and and uh, whoever else from the network uh, was involved. So I, had, I was spared that. Well, I want to ask you this because I, I like to talk about adaptability, right? So obviously you go from composing the keyboardist to multiple instruments so of all the stuff you have done and, and all the things in your career what's your favorite part the musician side or the composing side or, or the mix of both oh boy a mix of both yeah i can't say one or the other is uh my favorite i mean I, when i and also being a multi-instrumentalist people ask me a lot well you know my main instruments are drums and uh piano keyboards people ask me a lot uh, what do you like better and I can't answer that either because when I play too much of one, I miss the other. You know, you're, you're, you're continuing your career. Tell us about the album that's out now. Well, the album is called The Unfolding and it's coming out in a couple weeks. And um, I don't know if you're able to check out any of my other music, but this uh, album kind of continues in the vein of having different uh, size groups from just solo piano, which is just myself to uh, trio, quartet, and quintet. There are 14 pieces. Uh, I wrote 13 of them. The uh, only one I didn't write was a piece called Butterfly, a beautiful piece written by my friend uh, named Hiroki Endo, who lives in Tokyo. And um, we collaborated on that 
when he was in New York a number of years ago. Oh, actually, and then there's one other piece I didn't write. So that's uh, out of the 14, there's only 12. Uh, the first piece on the album is called Airwaves by uh, a guy named Thomas Dolby. I don't know if you remember him. She Blinded Me With Science. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that song. I've yeah. got to ask you this. You know, when, when you hear your music, though, on the television or even commercials or wherever the, your music is composed and played, what's it like to see here on television? It's a great feeling. It's a very satisfying feeling to know that um, it um, it made it. <laughs> um, it's very interesting writing music for television. Um, many, many, many times you'll write a piece, submit it, and then get notes, quote unquote, as to how it should be changed from the network. Um, with the Gregory Hines show, that was a dream come true because basically whatever I wrote just went on the air as is. I didn't have to go back and forth with notes, uh, change this, change that. It just, what I wrote went straight on the air and it was uh, just a joy to do. I just didn't know if there was sort of like a competition back in the day to get, you know, to get music played on TV. No, no, no there is. There totally is. There's, uh, for example, if, when, when NBC, when NBC might just um, ask for, uh, you know, we like, like this show later today I was talking about. They say, well, we have a new show coming on later today. Please submit some music. They may send that message out to like a dozen composers, you know. So there is a competition, although you really don't know how it goes down, how, what, what happens behind the closed doors when they start talking about the music. That you never really know. You know, basically, whether you got the gig or you didn't you know mm. well how do you how do you have those connections to get even played on nbc i gotta ask that how do i get those connections well through this guy <clears throat> excuse me through this guy michael carp um before i started writing with him i played for him played drums and percussion for a lot of his work and then time as time went on he uh, started to hire people to write with him so that's how that yeah. happened Anybody that you sort of idolized or were inspired by to be on the drums? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm pretty much a jazz guy. Um, I came up listening to jazz. That was kind of through my dad, uh, starting with the uh, old big band music of the 30s. But uh, my favorite, and this is for, you know, you may not have heard of these guys if you're not really into jazz. My favorite drummer of all time is a guy named Tony Williams, who played with Miles Davis in the sixties. And, uh, then he formed his own band in toward the late sixties and early seventies. And he's my very favorite as and he's not with us anymore. As far as living drummers, um, I guess I would say my favorite right now is a guy named Jack DeJanet, who's also, who also played with miles and Bill Evans and a ton of people. So as far as drumming idols, when I, when I was a kid, I started playing the drums at five and a half. When I was a kid, uh, through my dad, who was, like I said, was a uh, lover of music of the big band era, um, there's a guy named Gene Krupa who played... Um, sure, drum. I've heard that name. Yeah. Yeah, so he was my very first drumming idol um, back when I was five, six, seven years old. How about, how about Buddy Rich? Any, any influence from him at all? I mean, because he's one of the biggest names I can think of when it comes to drums. Buddy Rich was was a phenomenon, and I actually wound up studying with a guy who was very close to him named Henry Adler, 
and they wrote a drum book together and uh, they were very close friends. Um, and even though I can't, he, he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, there's no two ways about it. To, to watch him play is, is like seeing like, you know, some alien who came down and just was able to sit down at the drums and, and do whatever they wanted to do. So technically speaking, he, he's unbeatable. So I, I love Buddy Rich. How did you know you wanted to write the music in addition to play the music? How did I know that I wanted to write? Uh, it was the answer to that was very simple because I wanted to make a better living <laughs> than just playing because um, composing um, there's, there's more as a successful composer for TV, radio, whatever, there's more, uh, there's, there's just more money involved, you know? And um, like, for example, you're dealing like when you're a player, you might get residuals. Do you know what those are? Like, um, like sort of royalties, if you will, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, as a player, if something remains on the air for a while, you might get that. Um, but the bottom line is, as a player, most of the time you're dealing with hundreds of dollars. As a composer, you're dealing with thousands of dollars. So... I wanted to make the move to composing actually just to make a living, a better living. And fortunately I was able to do that. I wonder if that's because doing gig life, you know, cause a lot of musicians go out on the road and they do gigs and all this other stuff. Did that get a little tiring or, or however you want to put it so that you want to start writing and make more money or do you love the gig life as well? Oh, I love the gig life. I mean, I was on the road with Gregory Hines for 18 years and I, it's one of the highlights of my life because um, he was such an incredibly great guy to work for. Um, I was also on the road with Liza Minnelli for eight years. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I love playing. I still love playing, even though there are not as much, not as many opportunities, but, uh, and I'm not really doing any road gigs, but um, I love playing. I love both playing. and composing. Right. This this conversation brings to mind. You mentioned players, well, a baseball player. You had um, produced music for the channel. He was featured on a lot. Bernie Williams became a musician after his playing playing That's days. Right. That's right. But, but let's transition to that because I was so hooked when I said, "Oh my God!" He did the Yankees MSG theme. Like I I grew up with you, that theme. Sorry, sorry uh, to interrupt, but I'll tell you, I met um, Dave Winfield, and in, in a in a jazz club I was playing. And I usually don't, uh, I'm a little shy about asking for autographs, but uh, there he was in the audience before we started playing our first set. And this was in Washington, D.C. And I just went over to him and said, oh, I'm such a Yankee fan. I've been a Yankee fan my entire life. Would you mind signing your autograph? And he was very, very nice. And he goes, well, I'm a fan of you guys, too, which made us feel good. Well, that is pretty cool. You know, that music with MSG sort of, set the tone for any day. I mean, I think of Jim Cott and Ken Singleton and, you know, Michael, well, Michael was on the radio first before he went to TV, Michael K, but on the TV side, that was an era, man. And he had a few championship winning seasons there when, when MSG had the team. Yep. 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 And I'm proud to say that I was in Yankee stadium the night they won the world series in 2009. <laughs> and that was thanks well, to I, Thanks to my oh. son. 
my son had a connection to get tickets to uh to playoff games into the World Series and uh, we so we did go to the World Series and it was a night that they they won it all and it was a thrill. Now, being the Yankee composer for MSG for you know for the MSG are you a Yankee fan? I'm guessing too. Is that big that, time? No? Big time. Yeah? Big time. Okay. Big time. From when I was about seven years old to now. So, what, when you're asked to do radio, is your technique changing at all compared to TV? Not really, because when you're uh, writing for radio, any medium, you're given <clears throat> you're given instructions, and uh, mostly adjectives of um, what they would like it to sound like. And when you're dealing with these people. These are not musicians, you know, somewhere I have a list, but it, it could get very confusing because sometimes they'll give you a list this long with adjectives. We want it to be bright. We want it to be interesting. We want it to be um, thought provoking. We want it to be this, 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 this. And uh, it's very hard to, um, I mean, we know you, you kind of have to pick and choose what uh, emotions you want to uh, produce uh, on that list because because some of them are contradictory you know we want it to be bright but we want it to have mystery for example <laughs> you know it's kind of a that happens it's kind of uh you know a, everybody everybody not rags on it but everybody says well the best way to make it copyright free is to do instrumentals but as you just said a few minutes ago uh, the fact is, you guys make the music. You make the instrumentals. So do you think there should be a push for more royalties for that and, and copyright? Um, I, I mean, it's always great to make more money, you know. Um, as far as royalties and copyright, I would say, I mean, of course, I would like it. Like, I, I don't know what it is presently because I'm not I haven't really been in that part of the business uh, for a while. But back then, it would be uh, just playing uh, on a uh, commercial, say that it's a national commercial, meaning that it's heard all over the U.S. Um, I think you would get a royalty check every 13 weeks. So I wouldn't have any problem if it were every eight weeks. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as a composer, you'll get royalties twice a year. So, so then uh, how do you make your living then? If, 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 if composing is what you do, what you love, you've got to also probably have a job job as well in addition to your passion, right? No, no, no. All I ever did in my life was play music as a, as a living. I mean, I did many, many, many gigs. I did a couple of things with the New York Philharmonic Brass, <clears throat> excuse me, brass Quintet at uh, Lincoln Center. Um, I also see that you performed on Broadway, which is pretty cool. I want, I want to get to that for a second because I knew Jim Rado. Through a family, really, and really? Um, and and hair has kind of been a theme. I mean, clearly, I'm still growing it out now, but hair has sort of been a staple. But tell us what you did on on that show. Oh well, my history with hair—that's those are my best memories of Broadway. I was studying. I was about 16. I was studying with the guy who played percussion in Hair, and one day he just said. Uh, I can't make it on this particular day. You think you could do the show for me? And I said, yes. And that led to uh, being a sub on the show. Uh, the, I'm told, when I say this is the very, very, very first uh, incarnation of the show, when it first hit Broadway. And I wound up being a sub on percussion and being a sub on drums, which I loved. 
<clears throat> and um, well, you know the music. I mean, it's just so much. Oh fun. my gosh! Well, so you know, he and Jerome. Great. I mean, I guess we're really close, and and it's a shame we lost Jim this past year. But uh, oh, wow. know then, and, and Jerry's also gone, right? I believe so. But what what can you tell us about working with the both of them? Because they seem to have this electric combination, right? As the writers of pair. I didn't really have that much interaction with either of them because in the band, there was a musical director and uh, I was just the drummer. And I, I should also say that uh, they tried to bring hair back to Broadway about in the mid seventies and it didn't do well. It was, they wanted to be kind of like a, a period piece, but it was too soon, you know? Um, so it actually didn't do really well, but I mean, I, I have a very, very vivid memory of Jerry Ragney. We went to uh, down to Washington, D.C. They they took some of the New York musicians down to Washington, D.C. to open the uh, D.C. production. And, and Jerry was down there. And I have just a very vivid memory. <laughs> we were at a very nice restaurant, um, probably the band and the musical director and, and Jerry. And I guess Jim probably was there, too. Um, and you know, Jerry was very uh, exuberant, <laughs> to say the least. And I just have a memory of him lying on the floor of the restaurant, just kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of just, you know, stretching out and relaxing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I think Harry embodied who they both were. They had, that was their nature, their wildness, their exuberance, as you say, and that, that they, they really expressed it. So with that being said, as a musician, expressionism is so important, is it not? Sure. Sure. So how do you feel like you, over your career, shown that expressionism? If it's sort of marching to your own drum, if you will. Well, when it comes, I mean, I have this, this album, The Unfolding, that's coming out in a couple of weeks, which is my sixth album. And um, that's just who, who I am as a musician. I mean, I, there are no, you know, the buck stops with me. I produce the records. I hire the musicians. I, I help mix it. Um, but when it comes to doing these other gigs like hair or writing, um, you're not really talking, you're not really talking in the zone of passion. It's a job and it's a craft. You get the work because you're good. And by good, I would just say, listen to what's on t television. Now, listen to the music on the Oscars, you know? the key that unlocked the door to anybody making music. And there are, I don't know how much, how familiar you are with music composition programs, but uh, there are programs now that have pre-recorded little snippets or samples of uh, drum beats, for example, or what horns might play, what saxophones might play, what a guitar might play. So you could make a piece of music just by pointing and clicking without even knowing how to play an instrument. So I would say that, would tend to bring the quality down but um it's the, the music industry is, is still there in a big way it's not going anywhere and, absolutely uh, not now you mentioned now you produce everything on your own now you have your own company so to speak that maybe you're, you're bringing on new talent as well or is it strictly rick cutler music well uh i have my own company it's, it's called uh, human rick music <clears throat> And that's actually also my website, humanrickoneword.com. And um, on this new record, actually, I have uh, I published um, this piece by, I think I mentioned before, the uh, Japanese composer. So um, if, if anything like that comes my way, 
I would be happy to uh, let them work through my company and to have it published and, and like that. I love that. I love when people are inspiring, you know, the newer generation to keep working and keep, you know, and, and keep coaching them. All right. You know, what's interesting is you mentioned at five years old, but I didn't know this. At five years old, you were enthralled with music because of a marching band. Tell us about that. That's exactly true. What got me interested, <clears throat> excuse me, what got me interested in music originally was watching a halftime show in, foot, in the middle of a football game and the uh, marching band and the drummers. And I said to my dad, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but in a nutshell, I said to my dad, I, I want to do that, you know, and I was very lucky that he was open to the idea and he wasn't one of these uh you know you hear parents like well you know get a real job you know he wasn't one of those um and i was precocious and and made pretty quick project progress so uh yeah that's well, let me ask you that. so were you were you on the high school marching band were you on the marching band even in college or, or what the only time i uh participated in the marching band in high school Whereas one, there was one year where the marching band in the high school was invited to participate in the Fifth Avenue uh, parade down uh, in New York City in Manhattan. I did a lot of growing up uh, up in Rockland County, which is about 20 miles north. But we were asked to uh, to participate in the in the big parade down Fifth Avenue, and the music head of the music department said, "Rick, please, please, can you?" Uh, can you help us out here? You know, and uh, because we really, really need, you know, the best we can get to have the, make the best showing possible. So I did, um, I, I did march in the marching band one time down fifth Avenue. I was during on St. Patrick's day. And we're just coming up by the way. I can't wait. I love that holiday. I just, I love St. Yeah. Patrick's day in New York city. We were marching down fifth Avenue that day that uh, I, I made some beats for for the band for the because I wasn't the only drummer. You see, like a whole line of of drummers, right? And uh, so I wrote up about two or three beats, and I was in the center. <laughs> and at certain times, I would just you know hold my fingers up to both sides and say, "We're gonna," meaning we're gonna change to beat two. And we did. And uh, <laughs> something I don't think about very often, but it, it was a fun experience. You see that all these guys have a band, right? You saw Duke Ellingham have a band. You saw Miles David have a band. Did that ever inspired you to start? And I know you're doing the sixth album, but did you ever want to be starting a band like these other classics? I did. I did. And I had a band. In fact, uh, I, I was at Juilliard and uh, I actually dropped out because I wanted to spend more time with my band and the band was called exit and actually on the new album there's a song called exit where i actually got the guys in that that were in the original band together to play together again so uh, i did have a band which actually became believe it or not uh i don't know if you remember gloria Gaynor, the disco singer i will survive i will survive yes yes yes. yeah so uh and eventually through the uh, connection we became her backup band and her opening act so being on tour with Liza, being on tour, even with different Broadway situations, with, um, oh, you mentioned him earlier, you know, Gregory Hines. All, yes, Gregory Hines, being on tour 
must have been thrilling, but any favorite moment, any favorite travel story you want to tell us in the music world? Um, I love going to Japan. That would be number one on the list with a, with a bullet. Um, I've always had a, uh, a kinship, natural kinship to Japan. And, uh, even, you know, to this day, um, so that would be the highlight if I had, if I had to, uh, did you ever play the blue note either in Japan or, or in the NYC on blue note records? Oh, actually, the blue. Oh, you mean the blue note? I see. I understand what you said. The blue note, the club. Um, Yeah. uh, No, I haven't. No, I haven't. But here's an interesting story. Remember, I told you how I used to play with all these Jewish guys. And um, before the blue note was the blue note in New York City, it was a club called David's Harp. And I was in the house. (laughs) I was in the house band uh, of David's Harp where we played all kinds I, I learned so much about middle eastern music um kind of like fanning out from just the jewish stuff i learned about arabic music i learned about persian music <clears throat> and um i learned about armenian music which i have a especially close uh uh feeling about um so anyway but the answer to your question is no i've never played any of the blue notes as well, what's the story? I'm kind of curious now. So, did you, did you get to play in the band before it was Blue Note? Is that? That's exactly right. It was like I said before. It was Blue Note. It was called David's Harp, and uh, the layout is pretty much the same as the Blue Note is right now. Not that much different. And uh, yeah, I was you know that was a gig that uh, was probably about five or six days a week, and I was in there a couple of years at the, at least. All right, I kind of asked you the superficial question, what's it like hearing your television, your music on TV, but what's it like playing it? Because there's a difference between hearing it and actually, well, writing it, but of course playing it. So what's the feeling when you get behind the drums, they get behind the keyboard, or whatever instrument of the day it is for you, right? Uh, what's it like for you? It's, it's a complete and total joy. I mean, if I didn't love it as much as I do, I wouldn't be doing it. It's that's the s- simple answer to the question. It's it's what I love to do, and it's all I know how to do. <laughs> so uh, I'm just lucky that um, I'm still able to do it, and I'm still able to write and get uh, my albums out and get people to hear it. And I'll it, I'll probably be doing it for the rest of my life, you know, because it's just a it's it's a love and it's a passion. Would you recommend people listen to your first few, you know, your first five albums to get a feel of the sixth? In other words, is this like a, a part of a series that, that you're releasing this album? I wouldn't call it a part of a series, but um, they could listen to the new album without having listened to any of the other ones and uh, enjoy it. But of course, I would want everybody to, <laughs> to listen to all my records. Um, that also is a joy when i you know i get weekly statements where i'm told well your record or this song was played in istanbul three times this week you know or it was uh, it was shazammed in uh los angeles um it's a that's a very satisfying feeling well luckily with this podcast i kind of get demographic so i could see where and geolocation so i'm like wait a minute other cities are listening to this. I'm just a kid from New York, you know, which, which brings me back to you. Are you a New Yorker by blood? Is this, is this your hometown? 
Yeah, I was born in the Bronx. Okay. Um, no wonder you're a Yankee fan then. It makes sense. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, I, I thank my father for that. Although I, he took, he was, you know, my first game was at Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, of course. But we did go to, uh, I don't know if you remember the polo grounds. Yeah. Well, I don't remember, but I remember hearing about it. So, yeah. The Polo Grounds is where the when the Mets were formed, that was their stadium. That was the first stadium they played in, which was on the east side of Manhattan. Hard to believe that uh, they were able to construct a baseball stadium in the middle of Manhattan, but they did. So I was able to go to the Polo Grounds once, but it was all always the Yankees from you know. You, you you've got to collaborate with Terry Cashman. I feel like if he, I think he's still around. Terry Cashman and talking baseball. I feel like you two would get along real well because you have that passion for music and sports, right? And baseball. I love baseball. I love baseball. Um, I try to go to at least one game a year. And uh, like I said, we were there when they won the World Series in 2009. You would have loved loved that. It's because after they won, I swear to God, the stadium and you – I'm sure you've been to Yankee Stadium a number. Oh, of I times. was there that in the same night. I was actually. Were you really? Like, yeah. I oh, went there wow. In the, in the suites, actually, because of my connection with the Steinbrenner. So oh, wow. that was really special. But I tell you, the energy was different to me because it didn't feel like the old Yankee Stadium. It just felt very big and wide. And I mean, I guess in the certain sections of the crowd was going wild, but as a stadium, it felt like not as emotional, I, I guess. I don't know. Well, being in a suite. Is a to- I would imagine is a totally different experience, but we were, you know, out there in the crowd, and it felt like the stadium was gonna. They were the stadium was gonna like collapse from all the energy, you know. And it was just built that <laughs> a year later, right? But uh, all right, Rick, I gotta ask you this: Do you have kids? Do you want to play pass on the love of music to your children now, or, or what's the game plan? Well, I have a son. Um, and uh, he's a music lover. When he was younger, he showed a little bit of interest in music, and I gave him some drum lessons, but it never really took. Um, he was in a, we put him in a, a preschool music uh, class, and he was the best in the class. And uh, they told us, well, you know, he might be ready for piano lessons. At the, and this was at the age of three, but he didn't have the, uh, the patience for it. Um, and I also have a grandson who's turning six and, uh, he all, he's taking piano lessons and, uh, I'm able to show him things, little things here and there, you know, six year olds attention span is not the greatest, (laughs) but, uh, I do get a, a, a joy out of whenever he comes over, you know, we'll like jam, I'll have my my uh, drum electronic drum pads and he'll sit at the piano and uh but he's taking music lessons and he, and he loves it so the uh i guess gotta ask a- you. no that's that's beautiful gotta ask about the pandemic real quick because obviously now it's about three years since it all shut down and i think that was the creative's gold mine because you could be more creative when you're in lockdown i hate to say it that way but it just felt that for a few minutes didn't it well the best thing about the pandemic, in my opinion, for musicians, uh, was the fact that uh, musicians who were used to be in the concert halls, which were closed, now would perform on a Zoom call like this. And uh, you would get to hear much more um, than you 
than you probably would have if uh, the pandemic didn't happen. But pandemic was, a, I had, I had COVID for three weeks. It was horrible. Um, and uh, of course it would be better if COVID just never happened. Absolutely. And thank God you're here for that. Uh, but just tell the story that you survived it. Um, longest jam session. Cause I feel like you're a guy that would just go into the music studio or in the room and just want to go for hours on end on the keyboard or the drums. So longest jam session you could remember even while recording your albums. The longest. <laughs> um, well, I remember times just recording the record where I might have been in the studio like six to eight hours. Um, every time I would go in the studio for one of my records, um, I'd have a set plan. I wanted to do a certain number of pieces. And uh, however long that took would be however, however long I was there. So I'd probably say like six to eight hours. Oh, I meant like, but like on a continual basis, you you jam for like an hour or so, take a break. Oh, and then, damn. Just, just playing. Um, just riff. Yeah, man. That's yeah, it. just playing. Um. I've, I've been to so many over the years. It's really hard for me to say. I mean, three or four hours, maybe. Um, not all, not playing continuously, playing different tunes, but maybe around three or four hours. All right. I saw that you, you like to mix genres a little bit or talk about the mixing of the genres. So I got to say, when it comes to jazz, I feel like that's Coltrane. I can't explain it. It just Coltrane mixes it all together. And I, I, I was trying to find the word this whole interview or the comparison to ask you, is it sort of like the Coltrane style where you throw all the music together in an artful way, of course, but it is Coltrane-like? Well, Coltrane was a genius in his own right. And, um, I mean, everybody plays who they are, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of like, uh, it could be very, very straightforward, like straight-ahead jazz, or, in my case... And there, I'm sure there are tons of other people out there. It's a mixture of all of the influences. Uh, I'll write a piece that sounds uh, like an Irish tune. My wife is a big Irish uh, lo- lover of Ireland. And then I'll write a piece that may sound like uh, a Miles Davis tune or a Herbie Hancock tune. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a mixture. One last thing I got to ask, because you mentioned Liza Minnelli, and I know that they're totally different versions, but when you played New York, New York, uh, was there a feeling to that? Because she really belts it out, but the music really uh, guides her through it. So uh, when you played New York, New York, tell us about that. I'm, I'm curious now. Playing New York, New York. Well, you remember, I don't know if they still do it, but at the, at the stadium, whenever they won, they play the Frank Sinatra version. And whenever they lost, they play the Liza Minnelli version. <laughs> I used to get a kick out of that. Uh, with Liza, playing New York, New York, it was fun. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It was just a fun thing to do. And um, it was the last piece of the show. So we were getting ready to go home, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was a fun experience. It was a hard experience sometimes. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, New York, New York. Yes, it was fun to play New York, New York. What was your role on it? What, what, what was it? The piano you played? Was it the, was it drums? What did you do? What was your I, part? I started with Liza around 1991 playing keyboards. Um, 
she had a huge show at Radio City, Radio City Music Hall. And um, she added a couple of extra keyboards. I was one of them. And then I became the keyboard sub for the, okay. that decade. And um, then, I be, then I was hired on a full-time basis around 2004. And I was there from 2004 to 2012 full-time. And around 2009 or 10, she, uh, she made the band. She kind of cut the band cut the band in half she, she let half the band go and there was uh, only six guys left and i became the drummer wow so i went from keyboards to drums and then there were a couple of times where the musical director couldn't make it um and in her band the musical director was the drummer you know that's just how it how it uh, was so i got to conduct for her as well um one of my the biggest feathers in my cap was conducting for her at the Sydney Opera House in Australia. So that was, uh, it, was a, it was a great experience, and uh, I'm very proud of that. Amazing. That is, just, that is so cool. So now I have to ask, were you, did, 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 were Peter and Alan and her still connected back in that day, or did he pass, did he pass before? Because I've seen Boy From Oz, but I don't know the exact history, so maybe you can give us insight with that. I don't really, I mean, her personal life didn't really enter into uh, um, her professional life. You know, we, we, we would see people, I mean, I did a show with her around 2009 called Liza's at the Palace, which was in New York City, one of the Broadway houses. And, uh, you know, we would see celebrities come and go. But uh, one, the one, uh, you know, we weren't really like in the line of like, you know, ex- except there was one time when um, a president, then President Clinton and uh, Hillary Clinton were there and we got to meet them for a second. Um, but other than, and there was a, t- <laughs> there was a time when Joe Pesci was in our dressing room after the show. For what reason? I have no idea, but I got to meet him and say hi to him. Did working with all these big names lead to other connections as well? Like, did you expand beyond Liza and beyond, and then of course Liza's a big name, but did they get, did you get connected to other big musicians and, and singers? Um, only once there was, uh, I, I've also played for about eight years with a great violinist. You may not have heard of him. He's, he's been gone now for decades. A guy named Noel Pointer. If you Google him, you'll see. He's just a fantastic jazz violinist. And through him, the only thing that comes to mind is that um, I was also called to play by a, a woman named Astrid Gilberto, who is a Brazilian singer. And she was famous for being the original singer of The Girl from Ipanema. I don't know if you know that tune. And unfortunately, I, I couldn't do it. I also uh, threw. Um, Love that song, by the way. I got well. One last thing on the Liza front, and then and then I'm. I've loved our time together today, Rick. By the way, like I just oh, thank I you. love it. I love that we have the hair connection. That's so cool. <laughs> and uh, that yeah, Liza used to play. I think they stick with Frank now on everything, win or loss. But did you get to play? Because this was in the nineties. Did you get to play the Pavarotti and Liza? experience at central park were you involved with that concert no no i didn't even there was a concert in central park with the two of them yes yep yeah i I didn't no i didn't even know about that 
Okay, no, it's just unbelievable because he's saying New York, New York in in in, in uh, both Italian and uh, English. So that was fun. Oh, wow. Were you but there? No, I've seen the YouTube clip, but that's why I mentioned it to you. I don't know if you're part of that or not. But mm-hmm. all right, Rick. Well, I am so glad we had this time, and please come back. Um, I, and I'm glad we talked a little Yankee spring trainings here. So hopefully, you know, Aaron Judge does it again, right? We got to see. But any lasting advice before we get, you know, before we wrap up for those that want to make it? Uh, the only advice I would uh, give would be number one, because making a living in the music business is not easy, especially nowadays when the business is open to so many people, like I was saying before, who can write a music, write, write a piece of music without even knowing how to play an instrument because of the uh, software that's available. Um, but what I would tell people is um, if you have the passion, you know, and that's passion with all capital letters, it's like it, that you have to do it or else, you know, your life wouldn't be complete. If you have the passion, just go for it and just do it. You know, that's would be my advice. Don't let anything stop you. Um, if you get bogged down in something, which I do every once in a while, I'll get bogged, I'm writing a piece of music, I'll get bogged down. Let it go for a day, you know. And then just pick it up the next day. But the big word is passion, and um, to try to get uh, and and make sure that you're. Uh, how do I put this? Um, I guess that your head is on straight, that you're not um, distracted by anything. I mean, spiritually speaking, you know, I'm a Buddhist myself, and. Um, I'm a big believer that um, a practice like uh, Buddhism um, can help you. And it has helped me um, in a number of ways. So try to get yourself, try to use your passion and get your head on straight and go for it. And that's what I would say. Well, Rick Cutler, thanks so much. And, uh, I would love to have you back on as we get into the spring and whatnot and, and, and have you back on for more conversation. Cause I don't even know if we've touched, we've just touched the surface. So I want to expand on this in another episode. How about that? Once the, once the album drops, come back on. Well, the album's dropping in two weeks. So uh, I'm more than happy to come back. All right, let's do a follow up. Then, then thank you so much Rick Cutler and uh, the unfolding and give us the website one more time. Website is human Rick, one word, human, like human being, human Rick, R I C K dot com. All right, Rick Cutler, thanks so much. And uh, I might have to tune in the MSG theme song now for the Yankees just to have the glory days back, you know? So. <laughs> well, have have fun with that. I don't know where you'll find it because uh, they've been using a different theme for so long, but uh, this was when they first started on cable, when they went from. Okay. I think it was Channel Eleven carried their games. I'm not 100. That's sure. right. Yeah, and then uh, and then MSG. Well, Rick, thanks so much, and uh, we'll do this again soon. Okay, thanks so much, Alex. Great to be here. I'm Alex Garrett. This has been the Alex Garrett Podcast Network.